Welcome to Talking Infrastructure, the fortnightly podcast brought to you by global infrastructure company, ACOM. In this series, we'll be discussing the hot topics, key projects and innovations that are helping to solve some of the world's most complex infrastructure challenges. Hello and welcome to ACOM's Talking Infrastructure podcast. My name is James Banks. Today, we're going to be talking about how infrastructure can deliver a positive social impact on society. Joining me to discuss how we create infrastructure that's not only the best in the world, but the best for the world, is Andy Mitchell, Chief Executive of the Thames Tideway Super Sewer Project here in London. Terry Wong, Chief Executive of the Australian Business for MTR, one of the world's leading rail operators and Colin Wood, ACOM's Chief Executive for the UK and Ireland. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. It's a really, really broad subject, but I wanted to start off by discussing terminology. How does social impact differ from social value? They are two terms that I've heard again and again over the last couple of weeks when I've been researching this topic, often in the same breath. Colin, what do you think? Are the terms interchangeable or are they different? Social value and social impact. Yeah, thanks, James. I think people can interchange them, but yeah, I, I think it's important that we, you know, particularly in the industries we're in, you know, do make a distinction because one of the things, particularly when you're building big infrastructure projects, people will look at you know, some of the benefits, and benefit is a word I imagine will come to a, a lot you know, during this podcast. But for me, social impact is, it is about measuring the kind of the direct cause and effect relationships. You know, what do, what do we do to an environment as a result of our activities of, of services? It's about that legacy uh, that we leave behind. Uh, for me, in terms of social value, um, that's looking more prosaically at the social, economic and environmental benefits that come out as a result of what we do. It's probably at its core more cumulative in terms of uh, the effect we have given something that we deliver. Coming to you next, Andy, what what do you think? Is, is Colin on the right track, sir? I think Colin is. The social value, I think one of the things I know we're going to talk a little bit more about is do you have to be able to quantify everything? And and certainly I can see that with looking at social value, there, there's an opportunity or perhaps a tendency or a temptation to try and put some numbers because when we hear the word value, that's sort of what, what we do, whereas impact, I think, is something probably a lot harder to quantify, but nonetheless really, really important. And I think when we... We on Tideway talk about what we're doing. We say whilst our challenge is to build a sewer and clean up the river and, you know, say all, all, the, all the good engineering stuff, the physical stuff that we're doing. But we also say our vision is one of changing a relationship of a people with, with a, a river. And we call that reconnecting London brackets and Londoners with the River Thames. And we knew at the very beginning when we, because that's, that's kind of what we felt we were doing really, but we knew it would be extraordinarily difficult to quantify, but it doesn't mean to say that was a wrong a wrong aspiration or a wrong vision. I think this is an area that my guess is if you ask 10 people, you'd get different definitions of impact versus value. But I think it's a really, really important one for us to, to pull apart and, and try and get a better handle on because there's, there, there's some important issues tucked in between those two phrases. Do you think you can provide social value without social impact does one automatically lead to the other uh, no i don't think it does 
or, or, or sorry, positive impact and positive value, I suppose, uh, I, I think could be quite different. And when, when you start talking about how perhaps you're changing people's lives for, for the better and allowing people to feel better, that's an impact. You know, I, I think it'd be a terrible idea to actually try and quantify that. I know people have happiness scores and things, but I think you could have one without the other. You could certainly have economic value, which could be seen as positive, but arguably even a, even a backward step in terms of impact overall. So they're different in my mind. Terry, Andy and, and Colin, both based here in the UK where I am, you're in Hong Kong how does it differ, or is there any difference over there about how you view social value, social impact? I think what we're leaning towards a little bit is that the social impact is really the long-term legacy piece. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the gentleman who's just shared a view that uh, there is certainly the difference in between social impact and um, social values. And um, for if you build infrastructure, you, you certainly will have impact to the, the people who use it to live around it. There'll be social impact to it. Uh, as I, Again, I assume that's the positive impact we're talking about. There's a, many ways that create different impact that may change people's lifestyles, may change a different behavior and, and, and the way they, they, they do transportations, they leave, etc. But the social value is, is talking about much broader than social impact. Then there will be a, a whole see ripple effects that if the infrastructure have considered well on the social value it can generate, it, it can just, the infrastructure is just a catalyst that creates some impact, but later on, when the people in feeling kind of embedding into the infrastructure, start using it, subsequent impact will be, of value will be created. For example, we talk about, you know, people will be able to access to different things that they never be able to People may have a much better well-being in their health and others because of the infrastructure it designed and built in a certain way that they're taking account social value. Those are something that the values created more than the impact it created to people immediate impact, particularly to those people who you know have immediate change of their behavior, the way they're going out, the way they leave, etc. We talk a lot here in the UK about the the, the leveling up agenda. I know. Terry, we discussed this the other day on a call talking about how infrastructure had, had levelled up areas of, of Hong Kong. Uh, how important is that for, for a social impact? Making sure people have access to facilities, to the best infrastructure, you know, wh- where they live. And it's not always, a lot. you know, here in the UK, we talk a lot about the southeast and the, and the north of the country and levelling up between the two. But levelling up clearly can, can also be across cities as well. Yeah, uh, MTR has the traditions of um, when they planning for a very infrastructure, they take a much broader perspective in considering the, the parameters that's needed. We always think that building the rail infrastructures is actually building a communities. That, that's a very important concept to start with when we have a propositions to really, a, a projects in place to really to plan before you start the designing things. i give an example for the um, Hong Kong Airport Express Line and the Chong Chong lines that were built before the, um, we're starting to build um, before the new airport in Lantang Islands that get completed. The alignment is carefully designed and starting from these traditional finance centers, CBD in central, go all the way to Kowloon Peninsula to the Lantang Island, which is where the new airport is. 
it goes through a different district. Cost in, in Hong Kong Central Financial Center is a well-established financial center, highly densely populated, you know, with its great A building, office building in there, all very highly packed. And then we, we plan our lines to go through to the Kowloon stations, Reclaim Lanes, that we want to build a second CBD away from centrals that create more jobs. We don't, don't have to really travel across the, the harbor to really work. And, you know, the first station across the harbor serves these functions. And, of course, it, um, it has residential areas that we, people can live and have a good environment. And then along, going further to the airport, and we go through a, an area, that, a run, very run-down industrial area, where we, people live there, but in, in a very old district. Um, nothing's modernized, poor transportation. A lot of the jobs there are very low-income uh, jobs, and we plan it out so that we try to rejuvenize the areas by building a new station and a kind of value capture project, building a whole precinct that's around it, then create jobs and enhance people's living standard. And they can also, if the lines are getting easier access to different jobs that the across the Kowloon, uh, Victoria Harbor to Hong Kong Islands that where the finance and commercial jobs are traditionally located. And go further closer to the airport, we build another station that has a future-proving concept in there. And we build a station whereby we pan out a kind of 10, uh, 15 and 30 years of news district we want to create, serving the function of like a satellite city before it ended up at the terminus to the airport. Those are carefully planned that not just for current transportation needs, but for future needs and how to create precinct, how the precinct would like to be designed and how ribbons at what first function is served all built in at the day one of our planning. So this is a quite a, a typical concept and principle when we uh, use infrastructure to create tremendous social value around it. Interesting what you mentioned there around making sure you know, communities are at the heart of it and the importance of that planning. Colin, I know that we were discussing this a couple of days ago around what's come out with everybody's with the build, build, build tagline that's been put out. But what do you make of build, 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 Colin? I think we've got a good opportunity given the the reset that has probably happened in terms of the coronavirus and the you know the challenges that we all all face there. Um, and why do I say that? Because it's given us the opportunity to have a good think about what it is that we're trying to do. And with the government pushing the build, build, build agenda, we we need to make sure that we're working with government, working with constructors to get this absolutely right. Because you know, we're going to be living with whatever we build you know for decades so you know, we, we've got to get into that design stage you know so you know, as soon as the government say build 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 you know my mantra is design 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 because if we can get that design right if we can engage with government and we go back to that social value piece that we were talking about earlier on then we should be able to design that in and then track that and make sure that it gets delivered and i think you know going back to you know when we're talking about social impact it's you know going back to something that andy mentioned it's very very difficult to measure but i think if we get hung up on trying to measure it we'll, we'll probably lose sight of what it is we're trying to achieve it this is all about leaving a legacy so for me if we are going to get into the build 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 let's have a really good think about what it you know what, what's the outcome we're trying to achieve what are the benefits that we really want to deliver because the real danger for me is that you know we, we just rush headlong into construction and just delivering something and then live to regret it afterwards building on andy uh, yeah i think absolutely right it's so difficult to measure these the outcome of, of these of these large infrastructure projects but 
I know for Thames Tideway, you set yourselves a number of objectives. How have you found that with, with the journey so far with the Thames Tideway project? Yes, okay. So we sort of set up with, with the, the vision of reconnecting and changing people's lives, which wasn't the question that we were being asked, but it's the one we thought we should answer. And fine, we, we had 54 goals, which did come down to some quantifiable things about local employment, uh, employing ex-offenders, apprentices, and that's fine. You can measure those. But what, what you can't measure is the impact on, on individuals. And I've seen many cases where there's no doubt people's lives have been changed because of the opportunities that we've been able to give them. And yeah, you, you, you sit back and look at some of those cases and you think, my goodness, whether that was one out of 100 or one out of 50 or whatever the stat was, that, that's great. But how do you price that? So, so we got 54 of those. And what we've actually done, because we, we had those 54 before the uh, UN SDGs were really established. So we've sort of reverse mapped them and, and it all works very well. It's the same sort of basic thinking be, behind them. And, and I'm pretty sure if we started now uh, with much better defined S SDGs, then we, we'd have had a clearer mapping. But again, it comes back to what, what should you quantify and what shouldn't you? I mean, I'd like to pick up on something that Terry talked about. So I, I was in Hong Kong for six years and worked on the airport and then on the, it was KCR at the time, uh, Westrail project. And I, and I think Hong Kong is a, is a great example of um, master planning being done properly. On the Westrail job, we built brand new stations uh, in the Campton Valley nobody there small villages fish ponds uh, and is this railway running through you know a high quality railway high capacity stations and absolutely nothing around it and what was that all about because it, there was no immediate economic argument for that but it was about master planning and making life for millions of people possible and better and stronger in, in a future so there's a time scale thing to this with my clc hat on construction leadership council hat i co-chair that and and we've been very active uh, since the start of the pandemic and produced a industry recovery plan uh, which we broke into three phases restart reset and reinvent and the restart was much more along the in fact even the reset the build 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 recognizing you know the economic multiplier that construction is and that's important for the economy arguably regardless of what you're building but it's very crude and not i'm sure what people really meant to mean and i agree with colin it, it, it design 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 is is probably the right response but the third phase of the industry recovery plan the reinvent i think is which we said should be a sort of a year ahead, given that we've got some real basics to just keep going right now. But the reinvent for me is in two parts. One is how we go about delivering infrastructure and just getting the, the net zero piece right and safer buildings and all the things that people would wish. But the other part of reinvent is taking what we've learned or we're starting to learn from the pandemic and rethinking what infrastructure we need and what do we want out of life and perhaps for me an example would be i think most companies are looking at their, their their offices and saying the office now has a different function it's not a place where 200 people come and sit at a desk and, and work and then go home again certainly our, our our teams are wanting to use the office as a place to commune but you could apply that rethinking to a city as well if a city 
uh, isn't a place that's full of offices where people go in and work and then go home again. But in the same way, it's a place where people commute and convene, uh, convene rather. That then takes you to a, a different set of needs. And so the reinvent is, yes, how you do it, but actually what is it that now we should be doing for society? And, and that requires that more forward looking, that more sort of master planning thing that I think Hong Kong is a great example of. Going back to um, sort of the idea of, of, of measuring, and I, I know it's, I know it's, it's, it is such a tricky thing, but I'm just wondering, Terry, is there is there any sort of financial modelling we can use to measure the social impact? Clearly, it's got to be a long term view, hasn't it? And that's why I, mean, I suppose that's why it's so tricky. Is that as you're providing these these new infrastructure projects, it's very difficult to, to see that social impact in action until you're much further down the line. Well, you're absolutely right. So. So far, I don't see a really perfect one, perfect models as being applicable um, to the real world right now. But I think this can be developed over time, as like Colin and, and Andy has been talking about. I think we can take into account a whole set of social factors that uh, people value as important and measure and how to what degree they think that's coming out to be a, a good value to different degree of good value to them. And of course, that could be subject to you know different cultures, different geographies, et cetera, those can be taken into account over time to capture what people think would be a, a, of good value and, and also measures different social value factors. When you look at the, we all talk about good planning, design, et cetera, that implies that you have to take a much longer perspective when you uh, design and build your infrastructures, which may not create immediate solid uh, economic return to you. That means that you have to take into account longer term, uh, much broader different set of risk if you were to, uh, you know, our private sectors or a government to look at how we can take that into account versus the matrix of social factors, value factors that you consider. I think that's the um, important framework. So far, I believe that even though it's not available, <laughs> a perfect one is not available, I think we can, over time, if we work on it, taking, you know, partly measure infrastructure's effects over time. So this is another part that we haven't done enough, I think, globally uh, and by different countries, that measure post-built what impact and social value created by a single infrastructure. Those are important data points that you can collect by empirical models that you can kind of uh, have a good understanding about it. Colin, we've talked about measuring, we've talked about the importance of getting community involved. How important is is getting the right team, the right makeup, the right diversity of a team to ensure that you're delivering the correct social impact and, the, and getting the full, if you like, bang for your buck with, with infrastructure projects? I think it's critical. Uh, you, you, we've mentioned you know, leveling up in different areas. And I think you, you, when you are going to look at different areas, whether it's different cities, different parts of the globe, it's very important that, you know, you're represented by the community that you're going to deliver a project in. And I think that diversity of thought, the flair, the enthusiasm that people will bring to a project, um, but personally, you know, sometimes because it's personal to them, you know, with some of the projects that we work on, some of the, you know, the best people in the world, we have a you know, mantra in ACOM, which is about improving the cities that we live in. And, and that's not just rhetoric, you know, that is something that people truly believe in. If you travel on the tube in London or on the rail system or by road, you'll, you'll have a great understanding of, you know, the challenges that one faces each day. So you also have a great enthusiasm 
mechanism to help fix it. And I think you know the, the broader we can get our teams, the broad diversity of thought, experiences, cultures that people can bring to the table, I, I think it's critical going forward. I think the challenge that one can get you know, just from an angle that hasn't been thought about, it can absolutely help shape projects going forward. And I think at the moment, given the various challenges that both, you know, Terry and Andy have uh, alluded to, we're going to need to think differently about the future because I do think the pandemic has change the way that certainly you know we're going to operate as a business you know more more home working or or actually more mobile and agile working so it doesn't mean people are going to be sitting you know in their in their back bedrooms or their studies or their bed sits whatever it means they're just going to work differently so it may mean they work out of a coffee shop it may mean that they're only in a, an office you know, a couple of times a week and i think one of the things we have to do if we're going to bring the right diverse team into play is work out how we can get them best to collaborate. I think the last few months has, has taught us there are many different ways of doing that. And I picked up on a point that was made earlier on that you know people want to come into offices to commune. And I think that's absolutely right. I do think we need that social contact and interaction. Having a, a diverse team that have got the tools to be able to collaborate, to be able to have some real diverse thought that comes from the environment that we place them in and giving everybody an, an, you know, an equal voice. I think that's something that you know I've seen over the last few months is, is driving great benefit because I think some of the challenges we face are going to need, need real innovation and you can only truly innovate when you've got you know, that uh, real challenge that comes from having a diverse team. Andy, you mentioned earlier some of the targets that you, you put in place around ex-offenders, the number of apprentices, how have you found that that the diverse approach has benefited your the project? Uh, and also, the second part of that question, I just wondered, has the pandemic changed the outlook for Thames Tideway? Has it altered the way that you're going and what you're maybe going to achieve with it? And I, I'm sorry, third part of that question. I was really interested to hear the other day about your idea of reconnecting London with the River Thames. And again, I just wondered how, how that came about. You know, team diversity, it's... 20 years ago, I saw an advert to go and build a golf course in Indonesia somewhere. And, and I really fancied the idea. I don't really play golf, but I like you know, where it was and the sound of it all. I looked into it and you needed a golf handicap of whatever it was, 12 or less, to do the role I was looking at, project director or something. But then I, I looked more and what they were asking for was everyone. In principle, the people doing the drainage, the people doing the planting the trees and everyone needed a golf handicap. And I thought, well, that's a bit odd. But actually, what were they trying to do? They were trying to get every single person working, designing, building this golf course to have a real understanding of what golf was all about. And and in a way that you'd never be able to quantify, be able to bring a certain amount of their experience uh, and them into everything that they were doing. And, and you look at that and think, well, that makes total sense. So when we're building infrastructure for society, What's the argument for not having a societally representative group of people doing the design and the construction and, and everything else? And because there's every chance you're going to get a, a greater breadth of uh, experience and thinking and therefore end up with a better product. And I think for me that that's a good enough argument to say we should start with, OK, wh what is the society that we're doing this for? And we need to represent them and we need to have have that spread and range of thinking if we're if we're going to do this to the best of our capability your second question this the statistics of who we employ and that kind of stuff and what impact has that had 
perhaps beyond the numbers for me the biggest thing is it's a statement of an importance of humanity and an importance of individuals and everyone's got something to contribute and that's been part of a culture those help helped build the culture that we have that fundamentally people are important and it's all about people and and that's that's something we've worked hard to develop the your third bit the reconnecting where did that come from well, when I arrived at Tideway six years ago, they'd just gone through the development consent order. There was lots of, uh, the talk was very technical. It was either legal or it was engineering. It was in decibels. It was in tons of sewage. It was very technical language. But what I saw was a whole bunch of people who were passionate for the project. And, and we spent five or six months just pulling that apart, saying, well, why do we feel this way? And a series of workshops, this wasn't some brand consultant coming in and saying, but uh, here's your strap line. This is something that we worked out together. And when we gave ourselves permission to talk in emotional terms, we talk about repairing a lost love affair between uh, the people of a city and, and, and their river. It just made sense. And when you were brave enough to say that as an engineer, and but be prepared to talk about a love affair, it made a hell of a difference. And it that was really the anchor for, yeah, that's what we're really doing. And surprise, surprise, people like it. Why? Because we're human beings. Colin, building on that, when we look at the planning of projects and I've heard Andy saying, uh, you know, when the, the DCO was coming through, that's when they were thinking about things. Going back a few stages and looking at sort of procurement, the initial conception of, of these projects, I know that certainly you know, social value points are certainly now being more and more included, but is that longer-term social impact legacy being considered enough? Do people fully understand it, particularly with perhaps within government? One of the challenges that I think we all face is, is the you know the government cycle with governments changing. And if it goes from you know, a red to blue government, for example, you know, what, what we sometimes suffer is you know, that, that lack of impetus that came from the government at the time trying to drive a particular project through. So I think the alignment around what it is you're trying to deliver and you know, some sort of cross-party agreement on that, you know, so, and I've, I've said this before in the other sessions I've done, that, you know, we almost, we almost need to get it out of the government cycle and just make it really clear that, you know, we are looking to deliver something for a particular community which is going to improve their lives in, you know, in, in various ways. The danger is, of course, is sometimes the longer that goes on, the cost goes up um, and the original in intent is, is perhaps lost. And I think on occasions, people lose lose their nerve. Uh, and you know, if you look, look at some of the challenges we have around some of the major infrastructure projects, we've got in the UK at the moment where you know, HS2, for example, is continually questioned in terms of what are we going to do with it? What stations is it going to deliver up in uh, you know, the north of the country? You know, and for me, you know, we've really got to put the weight of the argument behind it to say this is all about delivering whatever it is that we chose to deliver at the time and, and not lose sight of that. Because I think the, you know, we, we waste millions, perhaps maybe billions of, of pounds investing in projects that perhaps don't deliver what they originally intended to do. I think the other important point here is on a project that may take 15 to 20 years to deliver, the dynamics may change. Uh, so, you know, nobody could have predicted the environment we currently find ourselves in. So, you know, what's going to be the next challenge that hits us or, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the net zero and the sustainability agenda, uh, there's new technology coming on board all the time, you know, and I think it's very important that we continually assess what it is we're delivering to work out whether we can do it, you know, cheaper, faster, better, 
and, and not necessarily always stick to the traditional routes of delivery that we, we might recognise. That goes back to that you know, having the, the right team in place. You know, we need to get the right dynamic where people are very attuned to developing technologies and changes in you know the communities and environments we find ourselves in, and be flexible enough and not be afraid to maybe change the way we're going to deliver something. But I think, in broad answer to your question, it is about keeping our nerve in, on what we're trying to deliver. Don't lose sight of you know the reason we started this. You may end up delivering it in, in a different way, but what we mustn't do is you know, continue to deliver projects to 50% of what they were originally intended to be because I can guarantee you won't get the you know the social impacts and social value effects that you originally thought. Terry, in your part of the world, are clients recognizing social impact? Do they understand it or is is it constantly a struggle to get people to, to realize what can be delivered by our new infrastructure? What MTR have been doing very often is to really think from the you know customer's perspective, constantly think that the kind of a customer-driven kind of perspective uh, in planning and designing what's needed in the next next 10, 15 years time or beyond, and that that's very important. Um, and that that also that feedback process also taken account from our different stakeholders. For example, our our government's planning departments, our land use department, urban planning de- development, transport development uh, departments. That's uh, kind of a taking every all stakeholders into a kind of a process to make sure that they really understand and, and, and value the kind of a social impact and values that the infrastructure could build. And with that process in place, kind of a very base case of our process, general process, that can uh, easily um, solicit support and then meeting the future needs of our clients and our customers. So that, that's a very important part of, of us. And if you kind of other speakers who talk about the pandemic impact, the outlook that we're seeing as a transport operators and builders, we, we think that probably our customer will be looking at the, a more focused by the operators, by the you know transport operators on you know, providing a much better hygiene environments, more space in the stations and touchless checkpoints, et cetera. And, and also think about when we providing services or planning a new infrastructures, take a concept with more embedding to their daily life, not just the on the, the journey, when they make a journey from end to end, but also how the infrastructure be part of the daily life. That will be uh, more probably the future outlook of the our customers as they think that this is not just the infrastructure for transportation they they're serving them but but be um be part of their life will be creating more social in, uh, value to them and um they think that they're more cared about what they do in their life than uh, what they can generate uh, from the infrastructure that invest by government in the future what do we think about the role in in technology in all this Terry, I think we've talked about this before, but how do you think technology can help us to deliver and understand social impacts? It may be not, not really, on we, I know we've laboured quite a lot on measuring impact, social impact, but how can technology help us to deliver the social impact? Well, that technology can certainly help to create social impact and values, just as simple as what we're already seeing, that there's still a lot of potential to further develop the, for example, mobile apps and navigation technologies, you know, how we can use it to the, um, you know, mobility service, how to 
the public transportation, mass transportation can help the extra miles that the our customer will need to take. Those are uh, the technologies we can help providing a, a better arrangement for and convenience for our passengers when they travel, taking the journey. Andy, how have the, um, this, is, this is a big question, how have the technology changes that you've seen over your career, how are they helping us to deliver social impact? I guess I've seen the impact of technology on, on the processes that we follow and everything from planning systems, which when I first started, you know, we got the tape and the scalpel out and you drew bar charts on a piece of plastic and all the way to where we are now, um, in my view, not all of which has been a step forward. The whole CAD approach or, or basic design and, you know, has, has moved things on a long way and allowed a uh, lot more rigorous design and planning and all that kind of stuff. But I think the really exciting thing now is is the discussions that we have around the use of digital capability and and again, I don't mean a really clever CAD model or a BIM model or whatever, but uh, when we talk about digital twins and systems of systems and really now uh, understanding the value of the data and the information that we can, can and should get out of our infrastructure, I think we're really now moving to somewhere somewhere different. And, and whether that's, you know, this building talking to this electrical system or whether... Uh, we've seen recently people talking about trying to monitor from the, the content of the sewers what the health of the community in that area is. And it was said in the COVID context, but actually you could look at it in any kind of medical context. And what if we had a, a system where e even where the sewers are giving us really rich information about the health of our, our communities and that's automatically relayed to the you know, the medical professions or or, or whatever, is that feasible? Yeah, you can certainly see that. Would that make a huge difference? Well, yes, I think it could. And and I, and I think we're only just beginning to start to understand what a system of systems could really mean. Uh, Colin, coming to you finally, are you excited about the changes ahead, both with, with technology and the way that we, we view social impact and, and what our infrastructure can deliver? Very much so. I mean, Andy's picked up on a couple of points that would have made a particular digital twin and, and I think specifically around big data. So I'm, I'm excited if we use the right tools and get the right data and use it properly. And I think yeah, we're seeing that already in terms of, uh, you know, one of the projects we look at, the Connected Autonomous Pod, we're working with a, you know, a, a bunch of organisations around that just by using the technologies available at the moment, you know, we're going to make huge differences to people's lives in terms of mobility, accessibility, you know, congestion reduction, which of course has all the, you know, the other benefits to the environment that we were talking about earlier on. I think, you know, Terry's made a really good point, you know, just in terms of, you know, providing that service to, you know, passengers. I, I think people nowadays are used to living in a, in a connected environment and that, you know, there's a growing expectation that their lives will be made better, made easier. Easier. And the data and tools are out there. We've just got to join them together. And I think they, when you look at that connected autonomous pod work that we're doing at the moment, that's not just about ACOM. You know, we're bringing together academic institutions, other businesses, SMEs, and public sector authorities, all with a broad range of skills, the diversity that we were alluding to earlier on, with that common aim of delivering something which is better. Um, so am I excited? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Great. I think that's probably a, a really good place to leave things. I don't think we fully managed to uh, divide social value and social impact, but I don't think we really needed to. Big thanks to my guests today, Andy Mitchell, Terry Wong and Colin Wood. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe, leave a review. Uh, and of course, tell your friends. 
I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Talking Infrastructure. Until then, take care and goodbye.